Um, I was winning awards, you know, Leaders Club. I was getting to go on major trips because of it. But like, I was spiritually bankrupt, right? Like, I didn't know what to do with myself. Welcome to the Ron Real Podcast. Are you dreaming of changing your life through opening a business? Or are you curious what obstacles entrepreneurs had to overcome on their journey? Then you're in the right place. My name is Agnes Billig and I'm your host. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Raw and Real. Today's guest on the show is Alicia Wilford. Alicia is a life, leadership and creativity coach who works predominantly with women and lives by the motto, we rise by lifting others. She's also the founder of the Yoga in Abundance, a platform that provides creative coaching for women and entrepreneurs and the host of the Yoga in Abundance podcast. Hey, Alicia, I'm so glad that you're joining me today. Hello, it is an honor to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm super interested to dive into your story. Um, you know, I looked into you a little bit and I know that you were raised uh, by a loving family. But you had that belief that your personal worth was tied to hard work. So can you tell us a little bit um, about what your upbringing was like? Oh, yeah. So I was raised um, real strict Catholic, Catholic grade school, Catholic high school. My dad was raised on a farm. So he worked really, really hard. My grandparents worked really hard. We would often, um, like my dad would pick us up sometimes from school on a Friday and then we'd drive to my grandparents' farm and he'd help like pick tomatoes if it was in the summertime. So, you know, he'd put in a full day of work and was going to go do some more work helping out. And so it just was instilled in me that, that you work hard and that's how you get ahead in life. We never talked about working smarter. We never talked about entrepreneurship was not necessarily a part of the picture, even though farmers are entrepreneurs. <laughs> um, but it wasn't something that we, we talked about, nor was it necessarily encouraged. So you ended up taking the corporate path. Yes. So I, um, I decided to, I moved 600 miles away from my parents and moved to Greensboro, North Carolina. And I went to this Little Quaker College, Liberal Arts Quaker School. And it's the type of place where I think a lot of people go because they think they want to change the world, right? And I'm doing air quotes here for those that can't see. Um, I thought I wanted to change the world because that was before I realized that the only thing you can actually change is yourself. And so changing the world really means like changing yourself and becoming a better person. But it took me a long time to figure that out. I was a psychology major. I was a dance minor. Um, and I, I had no idea what I wanted to do after college. I had graduated in three years. I worked my way through college. I graduated early to help cut down on student loans. And I kind of, I'd been working at a grocery store while I was in college. And I went into management. They hired me to manage their their front end, their cashiers. So I, I was kind of doing this job. I, had, I knew I had student loans to pay. I didn't know what to do with myself. I wanted to do something that made a difference, but here I was trying to figure out how to pay back my student loans and forge a life in this city that was really far from my family. Um, 
and I really disliked it. Um, I don't like retail. And uh, I worked there for about a couple of years, three, four years before I wound up in corporate America. I did sales for um, internal sales for an ins- a big Fortune 500 insurance company. And again, I was on that journey of like, all right, this is better than what I was just doing, but I still don't know what I want to do. I'm making a really good living. I have a really great job for someone else, not me, this like, but I was doing really well. I was great in sales. Um, I was winning awards, you know, leaders club. I was getting to go on major trips because of it, but like I was spiritually bankrupt, right? Like I didn't know what to do with myself. So I started down that road of reading every single self-help book and thought leader book I could kind of get my hands on. And I also started down the yoga path, right? So I loved Mm -hmm. yoga. It really aligned with that, like the feeding the desire, the person in me that had was a dance minor, like, like body and movement and somatic experience was really, it resonated with me and yoga kind of married the place of like self-discovery as well as that need to move my body. And so I went down that path and got 200 hour and 500 hour trained. And while I worked my corporate job, I opened um, a yoga studio here in downtown Greensboro. So that was my maybe first foray into entrepreneurship. So I I was working my full-time job and I would teach yoga classes before work, you know, 5.45 in the morning. On my lunch break at my corporate job, I would run payroll for the other teachers that were teaching there. I would write newsletters. And then in the evening, I would teach yoga classes, take care of the yoga studio. I had one day off a week. It was Saturday. um, And I still ended up working, like doing marketing stuff. And I did that for five years before I burnt myself out. And Wow. That's a long time. Yeah. So... I think that's something that a lot of people can really relate to being in a job that is okay. It's not bad, but it doesn't fulfill them either. And it does pay their bills. And then in the end, they can do some cool stuff in their free time, like go on holiday, right? So how did you really manage to then find a little bit your path? Because like you say, it's quite hard sometimes to find out what it is that you're really good at, especially if you're a generalist. Yeah. You know, Marie Forleo has that term like multi-passionate entrepreneur. And I had things that I was passionate about. Um, Like I was passionate about the yoga. I was passionate about creativity. I was, I I considered myself like a spiritual seeker. So I, I was passionate about those things, but I didn't know it took me a while to figure out how they all went together. Um, And the yoga really helped. So that's why I started the yoga studio because I thought like, okay, I love this. Maybe this is my thing. And it wasn't, it wasn't my thing, but I needed to explore that as far as I could take it. Um, And it was the impetus for all of the other things. So now even in my coaching business, the yoga is a foundation for my work that the, not just the physical practice of yoga, but the spiritual path, the mindfulness, the eightfold path, the trying to live 
a life of meaning and purpose and do no harm, um, that has really laid a foundation for the rest of my work. But I think we need to be able to get quiet in our lives, to, to listen for what is kind of calling to us. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's our calling, but what is calling to us is meaningful. And so if we can explore that, it's going to lead us to things that we're passionate about. Um, but we might need to cultivate it. We need to get to know ourselves to be able to figure out what to follow. Yeah. So I know that one of the things that you do is you help people to reconnect also with their personal intuition. There are situations uh, that I had to face personally, and I'm sure you had them as well, where you didn't completely have an intuition about what to do, about where to go. So like, what do you do in those types of situations where it's really hard to reconnect with your intuition? I think it's important to, to recognize that our intuition is a muscle. Like I really think of it like a muscle and the more you listen, the more you get quiet, the more I, I write morning pages every single day. I ask my clients to write morning pages every single day. Morning pages is when you get up first thing, write three pages, stream of consciousness, whatever comes out, don't censor yourself. Don't judge it. Um, it doesn't have to be deep. You don't show it to anyone else. You might not even go back and read it, but it, it's that process of, I often don't know what I'm thinking or I'm feeling until I write it out, until I start writing. And so this is a way of really connecting to yourself and to your intuition. If you're feeling really, really lost, then you can go back later and you can read it and see if there's any threads or themes that start coming through. But oftentimes just the act of writing about what you're thinking and feeling will help you figure it out. It will help you attach to your intuition. But here's the thing, because it's a muscle in the beginning, when we start working out, those muscles are weak. It seems really hard. It seems like we're never going to get stronger. But just like in working out, once you do it a couple of days in a row, the next week when you come back to it, you realize that you're stronger. You feel like you have a little bit more capacity to keep moving. So if you can just push past that beginning feeling, you can start to learn and you can start to understand, oh yeah, that's what that was telling me. That's what that feeling inside was. You, you start to understand what the signs are of which way to go. And we all do get them, but if you haven't been listening to your intuition for a while, it's there, but it's scared. Or like maybe it's been talking to you and you've been ignoring it. So it doesn't know that it can trust you yet, right? Does that make sense? So like if your intuition, like let's just say, let's give our intuition a name. Let's say Sue is the intuition's name. If Sue tells you, like, I think you should do this and you get that feeling, are you then gonna go ask your mom and your sister and your friends. No, you need to, you need to do what your intuition is telling you to do. Let Sue know that you can trust her, you know, let, like, let your intuition know that you're going to follow what it's asking you to do. So I'm very curious because I guess you cultivated that practice at some point in your life, and then you really started figuring out what it is that you want to do. 
So how long did it take for you to get more connection and get more guidance from these consciousness streams in the morning? Yeah. So I have been writing morning pages pretty consistently for the past eight years. Um, And I would say that was very quickly able to discern what it was that I wanted um, and to start identifying what, what was calling to me, what I was passionate about, and then start exploring those things and like testing what it felt like to do them. But something else came into that um, for me. And it was figuring out what my core values were, my personal core values. I think that this is, this is the cornerstone of the work that I do with women. And I really feel like whether or not someone works with me or they just decide to do this on their own, it will be a huge benefit of like identifying what are those values that are important to you. Those are your like the big rocks in life. Like there's this old Stephen Covey video from like the nineties or like late eighties, early nineties, where he asks a woman to come up on stage during like some sort of speech or conference. And he's like, okay, you've got a bucket and this bucket is your life. And I want you to fill this bucket. Um, he, He had rocks and he had sand and he had pebbles. And first she's like pouring in the sand and the pebbles. And then she goes to try to put the really big rocks in and there's no room. And what he says to her is he says, you know, like the rocks are actually your values. They're the things that are most important to you, to you in life. And he said, those have to go into the bucket first. There will be room for the sand and the rock and like the pebbles if you put the big rocks in first. And I feel that way about core values. So my personal core values. It's health, sovereignty, creativity, growth, and mindfulness. And when I'm when I make those my priority and build my life around the core values, my intuition wins every single time um, because I've I've made the conscious effort to build my life around the core values, not have a life and try to fit the core values into the life. Okay. Okay. That's, that's quite interesting. So how was it for you that you managed to find your thing in the end? I ignored my intuition for so long that it hit me over the head. Like, I mean, I just burnt out so bad, right? With like that I had no choice. I was miserable in everything that I was doing. And so I had to make a change. And so I had to get serious about like, What is going to lead me to the thing so that I don't wake up 50 years from now and regret the life that I was living? Like, that's a big thing for me is that I don't want to live with regret. I want to live a life of intention. I want to live my life on purpose. No one else lives your life for you. So I wanted to make sure that I was living my life for me and not for like a perception of what other people's expectations were. And so, you know, I got really burnt out and I was starting to, I like hit this wall of like, I realized I was at the top of my career. I realized that I didn't want to climb the ladder anymore and I was exhausted. And I did. And I realized that if I was going to enjoy the next 50 years of my life, I needed to make a change. 
And when I sat down and I wrote out what my core values were, not what my parents' core values were, not what society's core values were, I took myself on a little retreat to the ocean. It was a January and I wrote out the core values and I, and I realized I was out of alignment. Um, I wasn't in a job that I liked. I, was, I wasn't in a relationship I liked and I wasn't actively working towards things that would fulfill me. And so I realized that I needed to start taking baby steps. So maybe I needed to roll or take steps into the direction, roll in that direction of the things that were going to bring me into alignment. And so it was, I made the choice to quit my job. I knew that I could do coaching and I would love it. And so I, I started testing. I started interviewing people about whether or not they'd worked with coaches before and what they liked about that experience, how much they would pay. And I sold from those interviews. Actually, I had an offer already ready. And so I'm I'm making it sound concise. It was not this concise. It's only this concise in retrospect. But, you know, I started moving in the direction of my core values. And I started mapping out what my career in coaching would look like. And I just started going and taking small steps, bite, like small bite-sized chews every day to get me towards where I wanted to go. So in what way um, was fear present as well for you when you started interviewing these people about coaching, but I guess you haven't coached before, and then you came up with this program, and then you were just asking what people would potentially be willing to invest? Yeah. You know, it's funny. As a yoga teacher, people ask you your advice all the time. And, um, you know, I, I would never give advice. I'd always put it back on them. And so I feel like I've been coaching for a lot longer than I've officially been a coach of like asking questions and getting curious and just getting to be a path on, on that, that journey. Um, fear is always present. Like I would be lying if I told you that I didn't have fear right now. It's just that I feel like I've started getting comfortable with having a relationship with fear. It's, it's a relationship. Um, I know that the fear is going to be there. And what I realized is that oftentimes the bigger the fear, the bigger a signal it was from maybe my guides, a higher power from the universe, whatever you want to call it, that this was something important that I needed to look at and probably move towards, not away from. You know, it'd be different where none of us are being chased by tigers, you know, that limbic part of our brain that's talking to us right now, it, it is there to tell us something important, but I think often now it's there to tell us, pay attention, move towards this thing. Don't move away from it. There's something important for you here. So to me, I have a healthy relationship with fear of It's there, it's present. And now I get a little bit excited when I feel fear because I know it's telling me there's a place you get to grow. Like you can grow if you move forward. So did you also manage to convert some of the people that regularly came to your yoga um, for your coaching program because they already trusted you? They were asking sometimes for your advice. Yes, I actually, um, I've been... A, out of the yoga 
studio space for four years. And I still have clients that work with me either in my morning writing group or um, in my community group and sometimes coaching clients that work with me now that, that definitely followed me into the work that I'm doing now. I should be surprised at that, but, but I'm not because oftentimes I think that our work is more, it's more about us than whatever we're doing. I agree. I think it's especially in that sense, people got to know you really well and you had already that no like, and trust factor in place. Um, and that's also what you can get through podcasting, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, here's the interesting thing is that as a coach, what I have found is that often people really need to get to know you on a human level before they're willing to give you a lot of money to work with you. You know, they're going to be opening up to you with their, their biggest fears, their biggest problems. They don't want to tell a stranger. So, I mean, that is why I started my podcast is because I wanted to show the more human side of things. I wanted to tell stories. I wanted to share that a lot, there's a lot of women out there, you know, they have to get to know me first before they're willing to invest and pour their heart out to someone. So the podcast is about telling those stories in a way that they can see that everyone has the struggles that they're that they're going through and that I understand them. So I'm curious, uh, how long does it usually take you on average um, to convert someone? How long does someone follow you before they are ready to subscribe to one of your programs? Um, I think that often maybe five to 10% of people that find my work and they're like, yep, that's her. That's it. Like the, I've had a number of people that have been like, have Googled like creativity coach and they found me and they listened to a podcast or they were like, they had a discovery call and they instantly got on. But then there's people that will be following. They have to follow for a couple months or they need to listen to a few podcasts. Um, And then there's people literally... I've had people on my email list for like four years and then all of a sudden something will happen and they'll be like, that's the program and they're on. So it's like, there's people in all of the stages. Um, but I would say that it, it's a very small amount that are the immediate converts. Um, and knowing my own buying habits, I would say that's true for me too. Like I want to get, I want to make, I want to follow someone for a while before I trust them enough to make that purchase. So I'm in it for the long game, not the short game. Wow, yeah, that's so powerful. I mean, also to hear that someone is for four years on your email list before they actually decide to go for it. That's a long time. It is. It's a really, but I mean, in coaching, here's the thing. Lots of people are getting into coaching. And you see people like, and I don't think this is a bad thing, but you see folks who all of a sudden they've taken a coaching certification course and now they're a coach, but they don't have that experience behind them. So to me, it's really important to show people I'm in it. You know, I've been a coach now for four years. I plan on being a coach for a very long time. I have that experience of seeing what it looks like for people to go through full cycles of coaching and what that looks like. And I'm not a coach. I'm also not a coach that I don't believe, I really do not believe in working with someone in a life coaching capacity 
for years and years and years. Like, let's go through a process. My goal is that you learn that you have the tools. If you don't know that you have the tools, I'm going to teach you what those tools are. And then when you run up against places that feel like you're stuck, you'll know that you have a toolbox to go back to. And that doesn't mean that every once in a while you don't come back to me for what I call like an oil change, but you don't, you don't need me. You have everything you need within yourself. And I think that coaches that tell clients that they need to work together for like a long-term basis forever, they're doing a disservice to their clients. So I'm willing for it to take a while to build trust, to realize that I am the person that's practicing what I preach. That's fine with me because I plan on being in this business for a really long time. And as you also help people to reconnect with our creative spark, uh, what type of activities uh, do you feel like really bring out that creative flow? Oh my gosh. So I love everything that has to do with creativity. I believe every single person is creative in some capacity. I don't care if it's how you design your spreadsheets, how you get dressed in the morning. I don't care if it's what your like your morning routine is a creative act. Um, so to me, it's helping people identify what feels creative to them and realizing that there's lots of different ways to be creative. And when you tap into your creativity, it doesn't have to be art. Like 95% of the time, it's not art. It's an experience. It's a process. And learning how to make that process work for you, that's creativity. Learning how to make that process like keep you on track or to enhance a project that you're working on at work or build your business, that's all creativity. So. Things that spark creativity, morning pages are a huge piece of that. But also you have to block off time and you have to be committed to giving yourself the space to think about being creative and don't, it's not a waste of time. It will lead you to important things. You know, taking a walk after lunch for 15 or 20 minutes, that can get you in creative flow. Um, I believe that exercise and moving your body is really important. So if it's taking um, a daily or a weekly yoga class or making sure you're going for your run three to four times a week, all of those things are part of um, you know, priming the creative wheel. But it's about finding what lights you up and what speaks to you. Maybe it's you take a dance class, you know, to move your body. Uh, I love the idea of move a muscle, change a mind. So if we can get out there and get moving and get flowing, it gets us to where we need to go. So can you talk a little bit about the connections that you've discovered between creativity and business? Let's say if we take an example of a dance class, how that impacted someone's business or like their ideas or their approaches? Oftentimes, if we're stuck, if we're encountering a business problem, the more you try to think your way out of it, normally the further down the well of stuckness that you have fallen. You know, our brains start building these neuropathways. And 
if you keep traveling the same neural pathway over and over and over again, you're not going to come up with anything new. So you really need to change your scenery. You need to change the neural pathway to come up with a solution. When I've hit a wall, often my answer is go take a nap, go dig, take the dance class, go for a run. Um, I, I was joking with my boyfriend recently, who's also an entrepreneur. I said, listen, a nap every other day or every day, that's part of my success strategy, right? Like it gets me, it gets you out of your head and it does help significantly if you can just rest your brain in some way. And often creativity helps us rest our brain. When you really start playing, like not trying to be serious, not trying to create for the sake of having a product, but when you allow yourself to get in the flow of the process and the play, it lets your mind rest. That's when you're getting out of the neuro pathways and new ideas are able to come to you when you do that. Wow, that's really cool to know. Um, so I'm also curious, like, what's one thing that you really did not expect or turned out completely different about business since you started your coaching practice and everything that comes with it? I really didn't expect the community aspect of my work is the most successful piece of my work. I have a morning group that started I, I last January. So even before COVID, we get together, we get on and we do our morning practice together because I believe the morning practice, that morning pages, it's kind of the key to everything, in my opinion. And Somebody at somebody in my email list, I sent out an email about something and they asked me if I would consider, she's like, at the time, this was before COVID. So I was doing um, a program in the living room of my home. And she's like, listen, I've been following you. I love your work. I would love to take that, but I live in Boston. There's no way that I'm going to ever be able to end up in your living room. Would you consider doing a program like this, but making it a daily program during the week for us? And I thought, yeah, so I, we get it on and we do our morning practice together and they're able to get their ideas on paper. I pull a card, like an Oracle card, and then we all go on mute for 25 minutes. And then after 25 minutes, they have 30 minutes as a group to talk about what came up for them. Well, it started with six women. Um, it is now expanded. We are up to 30 women and I have two sessions. And what keeps them coming back, it's like, yes, we have really deep conversations. We grapple with things like forgiveness, with creativity, with spirituality, with the importance of clutter, clear. I mean, we go deep here. It's not the deep that keeps them coming back. It's the community. It's, it's the holding space for one another. It's that we're not there trying to fix or help one another. It's a safe space for people to be seen, heard, and share without anyone feeling like they need to help. And I had no idea that we were, so, that the world is so hungry for that. So that has been a huge surprise to me and it's become the cornerstone of my business. And there's no way I could have known that going into the work that I'm doing. 
Wow, that's fascinating. Thanks so much for sharing that. I also didn't know that. So uh, do you still have like a last key takeaway, a personal insight that helped you grow that you would like to share with us? You know, my favorite quote is from The Little Prince. It is only with the heart that one can see rightly. What is truly essential is invisible to the eye. And it goes back to what we're talking about with intuition. Um, you can't see it. It's not tangible. It often doesn't make sense, but it's what's truly essential for you. It's your compass. It is your roadmap and your path is not going to look like other people's and there's going to be fear and there's going to be failure and that's okay. It's beautiful because it's your path. And how can people get in touch with you? Oh my gosh. Through my website, www.yokeandabundance.com, yokeandabundance.com, or on Instagram, um, at yokeandabundance. Uh, shoot me a DM, shoot me an email. I love chatting with folks. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing all of these great tips today. And for everyone who's watching or listening, I think Alicia gave a lot of amazing tips on creativity and reconnecting with your intuition so make sure to let us know which one was your favorite in the comments below the video thank you so much for listening if you don't want to miss out on future episodes please subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform and be sure to leave a review on itunes or google play and check out the show notes for a deeper dive on what you heard today